According to the magazine Psychology Today, there were 4,000 books published in 2008 on the topic of happiness. 4,000 books on the topic of happiness in 2008. Compared with the year 2000, when there were 50 books published on the subject of happiness. So in eight years, we have seen the subject of happiness become a hot topic in the world of book publishing, from 50 books in 2000 to 4,000 books in 2008. Everyone wants to enjoy life. What's your definition of enjoying life? Somewhere on a nice island with a beautiful beach and white sand? I don't know. What's your definition of happiness in life? 3,000 years ago, Solomon, the preacher, as he calls himself in the book of Ecclesiastes, set out to write a book on the subject of happiness. The book of Ecclesiastes is written to answer the question, where will we find happiness in life? Solomon the preacher explored many different ways that people seek to find happiness, satisfaction, contentment in life. People seek to find happiness in money, in possessions, knowledge, power, success, achievements, friends, parties, and sensual pleasures. But all of these paths to happiness, he says, lead to the very same place. Vanity of vanities. Futility of futilities. None of these paths lead to true and lasting happiness. When all is said and done, there is only one way to find true happiness in life. Turn to Ecclesiastes and turn to the end of the book because it's at the end of the book that he gives us his conclusion to this exploration of happiness. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, at the end of this exploration, through all of the vanities that people use in seeking happiness in life, he comes to the conclusion, he says in verse 13 of chapter 12, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. When you come to the end of this whole exploration of happiness and satisfaction in life, it comes down to this. Fear or honor, reverence, glorify God and keep His commandments. That's the simple reality. So, it is our duty to be happy in God's will for our lives. Now, we don't usually associate duty <laughs> with happiness. But it is our duty to be happy in God's will for our lives. When God is the center of your life, 
you find true happiness. When you live to honor, reverence, glorify, fear, that's the concept here, fear God. When you live to honor God and glorify Him, that's when you find true happiness. When you live by God's principles and you obey God's commands, that's the path to true happiness. Everything else is futility of futilities, vanity of vanities. Now, we are beginning a study of the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Many people think that Ecclesiastes is pessimistic, depressing, a real downer of a book, vanity of vanities. And I don't think that's true at all. When you understand the theme of this book, you will understand that God wants us to enjoy life, but he wants us to enjoy life centered in him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Piper, who wrote a a great book, Desiring God, and if you haven't read this book, I recommend it highly. It is a tremendous biblical theology for life, Desiring God. He paraphrases that statement by saying, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Piper goes on to say, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. Jeremy Taylor wrote, God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. (laughs) There's a pleasant thought. The preacher in Ecclesiastes is proclaiming this theme for us today. It is our duty to be happy in God's will for our lives by following him. And I want to show you this theme by taking a look at the book as a whole before we dig into each of the explorations that he lays out. There is a recurring theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. And by the way, this is the way the Hebrew writers, particularly in the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, those Song of Solomon, those books, this is the way they wrote they would write in sort of a cyclical fashion and they would come back around to the theme again and again and again, each time adding a little piece to that theme. So there is a recurring chorus, if you will, that comes through the book of Ecclesiastes. And it culminates in the conclusion, which is to glorify God and follow His will. All right? The chorus repeats the theme of enjoying God or finding our happiness in God by showing us how we do that in the everyday details of life. So, first of all this morning, enjoy God in the simple pleasures of life. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where we, be, where we come to the first of these little repeated choruses in this book. Ephesians... Uh, Ephesians... <laughs> Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, in verse 24. The preacher writes, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. 
This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Now the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, expresses classic hedonism, right? It is the pursuit of pleasure apart from God. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Humanism. Why? Why is that wrong? It is because it is apart from God and His will for our lives that we are seeking pleasure. But here, the preacher says that there is nothing better in life than to eat and drink and enjoy your work. How is that different? How is that different than the hedonism of our culture? What makes this better? It is the realization that our eating and our drinking and our work and our enjoyment in life is from the hand of God. And that makes all the difference in the world. Apart from Him, He says, no one can enjoy life. No one can have any true happiness apart from God, he says in verse 25. Furthermore, these simple pleasures, eating, drinking, working, these simple pleasures come from the hand of God to all who find their enjoyment in God. These are simple pleasures. There is nothing better in life than to enjoy these simple pleasures with thanksgiving to God because he gives them to us. Now, one of the criticisms of the book of Ecclesiastes is that it lacks an eternal perspective. And we are taught to think of eternity. And that is true. That is biblically true. We have a forever with God. And Ecclesiastes doesn't deal much with eternity. Ecclesiastes is all about life on this earth. The eternal perspective is, of course, vital for us as believers. But we also need to understand happiness in this life. And that's what Ecclesiastes is about. So that's what we'll be exploring. Does happiness come from outside of us or inside of us? The answer is, of course, that happiness comes from inside, not outside. Does happiness come from our attitudes or our circumstances? The answer is, it doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from our inner attitudes and responses to those circumstances. If you are dependent on your circumstances, you know, your paycheck, your... your, uh, your health, your circumstances of life, if you are dependent upon that for your happiness, then you will never find true happiness. Because your circumstances won't always be good. And yet, you still have to be happy in God. I learned a little ditty many years ago that goes like this. If your happiness depends on happenings, you'll have no happiness because if your happenings don't happen to happen the way you happen to want your happenings to happen, you have no happiness. Can you say that? We need to memorize that. (laughs) Happiness 
doesn't come from our happenings. It comes from inside of us and our attitudes. If we can eat and drink and find enjoyment in our labors, it will be because of our attitudes, not our circumstances. Our attitude is one of thanksgiving to God because these simple pleasures come from the hand of God. And so we are happy. What do the scriptures say? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You say, this is a rotten day. Everything's going bad today. Huh? God said, this is the day that God has made. Rejoice, command, duty, <laughs> to be happy. So be happy. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Paul wrote, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now you put those two verses together and you have... Ecclesiastes. That's the theme of Ecclesiastes. If God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with Him, then we will enjoy God in the simple pleasures of life. Lori Johnson took her son's 12-year-old Matthew, 6-year-old Ryan, to her parents' home for an afternoon visit, and they spent time playing socializing with their grandparents. It was a nice afternoon, and the grandparents enjoyed having the grandkids. When they were ready to leave, her dad, grandpa, said to Matthew, You made my day. Matthew replied, No, grandpa, God made your day. We just put the icing on it. <laughs> Enjoy God in the simple pleasures of life. Second principle, enjoy God through the gift of good work. Chapter 3, verse 12. The preacher says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. Now, he's picking up from verse 11, which he said, He has made everything, that is, God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts. Yet, so that, or without which, man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. And I know that there is nothing better for them who understand that, than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, everyone who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. So each time he repeats this course, he adds a little element to it. And now the element is work. Turn to verse 22 of this chapter. And I have seen that nothing is better, the preacher writes, than that man should be happy in his activities, what he does, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? You don't know what's going to happen after you. So there's nothing better to be happy in the, what you're doing now. So we are called to be happy in our work, he says. Now that's not a happy thought for a lot of people. We're prone to think of work in unhappy terms. <laughs> Not happy terms. But here we are told that seeing good, he says in verse 13, in all our work, in all our labor, seeing good is a gift from God. 
God gives us the gift of happiness in our work. So why is it that we spend so much of our time seeking to get out of work or dreaming of the day when we can retire from work? Pastor and author John Bukema attended a community prayer breakfast. He sat at a table with a group of men, and they were talking. He didn't know any of them at this community breakfast. But in the course of their conversation, the men started talking about retirement. It's a favorite topic of men, you know, talking about retirement. And the man sitting next to him, who appeared, he said, to be in his early 50s, was quite excited about the prospect of retirement. And he said how much he was looking forward to retirement, the end of his career. And he related a conversation, he said, that he had just had with his wife that very morning. He said, my wife asked, what are you going to do when you retire? I told her, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch TV all day, every day. That's what I'm going to do when I retire. The table was silent for a moment, but John couldn't keep quiet. He said, look, if you do that, you'll be dead in a year. The guy looked at John kind of shocked and asked why. John told him, if the lack of purpose in your life doesn't kill you first, your wife will. <laughs> look, folks, God designed us to be productive. That's what work is. It's being productive. God designed us to work. Go ahead back to Genesis chapter 2 sometime and look at God's design in the Garden of Eden. Do you realize that man was intended to work in the perfect garden before the fall? Genesis 2.15. He was told to, to work in the garden. God gave him responsibility for the garden to work and to take care of it. And furthermore, God gave him the ability to enjoy the fruits of his work in the Garden of Eden. Even in the perfect world that God had created before sin even entered this world, man was created to work and to enjoy his work and the fruits of his work. God designed us to be productive. By the way, I believe that when you study prophecy and when you study new heavens and the new earth, I believe that we will also be working in eternity future. We are not going to sit on little clouds strumming harps. Talk about boring for eternity. God has responsibilities for us. We will be productive. We will be active in the new heavens and the new earth. That's an aside. All right. God designed us from the beginning to the end, from the first creation to the second creation, to be productive, to be working. So nobody should retire in the sense of no longer doing anything productive. That'll kill you. It really will. Because life will become purposeless. It, it will become pointless. And that is probably our greatest frustration with our work now. 
is that so often it seems pointless. So often it seems purposeless. But for the Christian, work is not purposeless because it comes from God and can be used to glorify God, whatever it is you're doing. So it can never be purposeless or pointless, even though it might seem like that. God's will is for us to work to honor Him with our productivity. So doing our work for God brings true happiness from God. What does God say should be our driving motivation for work? He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do, that's action, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I don't care what you're doing this week, whatever it is, you're supposed to do it with thanksgiving to God. C.S. Lewis wrote, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. When we see that what we do is for God, then we engage in happy seriousness in all our work for Him. We cannot retire from God's work without losing our happiness in life. We may retire from jobs. We do retire from careers, certainly, but not from productivity for the Lord. The happiness we find in working is a gift from God Enjoy it. Be happy. It's a command. (laughs) Retired pastor Sam DeRay, 77 years old, could be enjoying his golden years in an easy chair, but instead of just letting the days fly by, he's building birdhouses to support a Moscow seminary. DeRay spends four hours a day building birdhouses in a workshop in his garage. He then hits the road with 35 different kinds of birdhouses that he has designed and built, selling them at festivals and craft shows and fairs. Over the past six years, he estimates that he has built about 3,000 birdhouses, and he has raised $85,000 for Russia United Theological Seminary. DeRay says the need for the Moscow Seminary during uh, that that he uh, the reason he's supporting them is that he saw the need for that seminary during 14 different missions trips that he has taken over there over the years. He writes, "We have to realize we're part of a global community and we have a global ministry. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. The good Lord has plans for us and I'm doing what I can to carry them out." Maybe you feel like all you are doing is building birdhouses. Well, build those birdhouses for God and enjoy it. Third principle this morning. Enjoy God through the rewards of your work. Chapter 5, we come to the chorus again. Chapter 5, verse 18. The preacher says, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, appropriate, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward, this is his share. 
Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Generally speaking, life works out something like this. If you make good choices and you work hard, you reap the results of those good choices and that hard work. Human life usually works out like that. And if you make bad choices or you are lazy, then you usually reap the results of the bad choices or the laziness in life. The wisdom literature of the Old Testament, like Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, talk about life in these kinds of general terms or truisms. Hard work and good choices lead to a rich reward. This is generally true. Now, it is not always true, is it? There are exceptions to the rule. And in the wisdom literature and in Ecclesiastes, he's not really addressing those exceptions here. This is generally true. It is the way God designed life to work normally. We are to see then our riches as our reward from God for hard work and good choices. God gives these gifts to men and women and he empowers, the text says, empowers humans to eat from these rewards in life and to enjoy them as God's gifts. So the person who enjoys these gifts from the Lord will not spend a great deal of time, he says, thinking about how old he is growing. That's what he says. Why? He's not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about how old he is growing because he's enjoying it. He's filled with the gladness of his heart. That's the focus as he walks with God. Now, let me put in a caveat here. Obviously, these are not promises that you will be prosperous in everything you do. These are general truisms. Bad health, catastrophes happen, right? And they, they nullify the truism in that case. The preacher who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes is not talking about those kinds of exceptions. He is talking in normal terms. And normally hard work and good choices bring God's gifts as rewards. So enjoy them. We are to enjoy the rewards of our work but we will only enjoy the rewards of our work if we have learned to live with God at the center of our lives and give Him thanks for the gifts that we enjoy. You know, a thankful heart is the epitome of a happy heart in God because we're thankful to Him. We're satisfied with Him for where we are in life. And therefore, we're happy. Lots of rich people, though, are miserable, aren't they? Because God is not at the center of their lives. They do not live with thanks to God, though they have much. And so they're miserable. 
Ernest Hemingway was born in 1899. He was the epitome of the 20th century man. At age 25, he sipped champagne in Paris, later had well-publicized big-game hunts in Africa. He hunted grizzly bears in the American Northwest. At the age of 61, after having it all, wine, women, song, a distinguished literary career, one of the major writers in, in American literature, wealth, pleasure, everything, right? At the age of 61, he committed suicide. He chose to end his life, though he had it all. And he left a note saying, life is one blankety-blank thing after another. That's about what Solomon says when he says, life is vanity of vanities, futility of futilities, apart from God, you see. The problem is not the riches. The problem is not the experiences. The problem is that we lead lives driven apart from God. And we cannot enjoy His gifts to us because we are not grateful to Him for what He has given us. Once again, thanksgiving, being satisfied in God and His will for our lives is the expression of happiness in God. But people don't do that. We have to drive ourselves to achieve more and more and more and enjoy it less and less and less because we don't know when enough is enough. That's America. In our daily bread, Philip Parham tells a story of a rich industrialist, corporate executive, who was on vacation, and he was disturbed to find a a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat on the beach. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked the man. The man looked up, because I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them? The fisherman replied. Well, you could earn more money, came the reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and you'd be rich like me, said the corporate executive. Fisherman said, well, then what would I do? The man said, you could sit down and enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? (laughs) So why do I do all that stuff? Enjoy God and what he gives you with thankful hearts. Fourth principle, enjoy God with the woman or the man you love. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7 the chorus comes up again. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. 
Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you, God has given you, under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. All right, by now you're familiar with the chorus. Eat and drink in happiness because God gives us these gifts to enjoy. Now he adds another element to the chorus. We are to enjoy life in God with the woman we love because our lives are fleeting and those opportunities are soon gone when we can enjoy life with the woman or our man that we love. Now, once again, he's not thinking of the exceptions, the single person, the widower. You know, he's just dealing in general truth here. In general, a wife is a gift of God to you men. And a husband is a gift of God to you women. Be content to enjoy that person as a gift from God. While your fleeting life is going on. For it's not long. All too often I have seen, you. I'm sure you have as well, a man or a woman who is driven to succeed in his career or her career to the point that the spouse is forgotten. And one day that person wakes up, but it's too late. Illness or death or divorce has, has ended what could have been the true joy of his or her life. Boy, it can change so fast, can't it? The opportunity to enjoy life with someone you love does not last forever, he says. This is fleeting in this world. I'm sure you've heard the well-known statement, no man on his deathbed ever wished he'd spent more time at the office. It's very true. Our regrets are always about the missed opportunities we can never get back to enjoy life with the person we love. There is nothing more beautiful in life than to see a husband and wife in their later years holding hands, enjoying one another every moment of the fleeting life that remains. It is a vision of exquisite beauty, and it is true happiness. Don't waste those years and let those opportunities slip away because you may never get them back. In premarital counseling sessions, I use a curriculum put out by a husband and wife team named Les and Leslie Parrott. It's called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And they have a session in that curriculum. They try to deal with the seven big questions that everybody has to address in getting ready to marry one another. And they, in one of those sessions is the question, have you developed the habit of happiness? Have you developed the habit of of happiness. And they quote a book about marriage that was written back in the 1950s after a whole lot of research went into it. And the quote is this, the most important characteristic of a marriageable person is the habit of happiness. 
And what do you think about that? The most important characteristic of a marriageable person is the habit of happiness. Look, some people just don't know how to be happy. Don't marry them. (laughs) The point is that the habit of happiness comes from inside of us, not outside. It's not from our circumstances. So the best marriages are those where the couple can be happy with each other despite their circumstances. Are you the type of spouse, husband or wife? I mean, here he's dealing with the woman you love, but we're going, we extend that application both directions. Are you the type of spouse who no matter what life deals you, no matter what your spouse does, you can maintain a happy heart in the Lord? Or are you the type of wife or husband who is always negative, always critical, and just never happy with your situation, no matter what it is? Which type of person are you? You see, it's not our circumstances that dictate our happiness. Our response to those circumstances determines our happiness or our unhappiness. So, the most important characteristic of a marriageable person is the habit of happiness. Our response to whatever the circumstances are is happiness. Because it's centered in God first. See? That's why the conclusion of the matter is fear God and obey His will. And that's where you find your happiness. And so you can be happy in your marriage, too. Pastor Brian Wilkerson tells about two friends of his named Charlie and Agnes. Charlie, he said, was the kind of guy that could have gone into anything in life and been successful at it. He was bright, energetic, hardworking, could have been a great businessman. But he set out what he set out to do was mission work. And he spent his entire career working with alcoholics on Skid Row. For many years, he was director of the famous Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. And then when he retired, he went to work for the Macaulay Water Street Mission in New York City in his retirement. At a time in life when most people his age were playing golf or taking cruises, Charlie would commute every day into the city to minister to homeless, addicted, broken people on the streets of New York City. Well, you don't get rich doing that, but every once in a while people would give them a nice gift. And one year... They invited Brian and his wife Karen to join them for a night on the town. Someone had given them tickets to hear Handel's Messiah at Carnegie Hall in a private booth, no less, with the red velvet plush seats in your own little booth in Carnegie Hall. And they were so excited. 
Four tickets. And so they invited Brian and Karen to go with them and enjoy that evening. And they enjoyed the evening immensely together. As they drove, drove back home that night, Brian and Karen were sitting in the back seat. And Charlie and Agnes were in the front. Charlie was driving. They were all dressed up for their big night out. And she had moved over and she was sitting close to him like they were high school sweethearts. And it struck Brian from the back seat that they were two of the happiest people he knew on earth. Just then, Brian noticed a little plaque they had stuck on the dashboard of their Chevy. And it explained everything. Here's what it said. God always gives what's best to those who leave the choice to him. Ah, ah. Now we got Ecclesiastes 12, 13. God always gives what's best to those who leave the choice to him. Can you glorify God and live in his will and be happy? Brian writes, Charlie and Agnes had long ago driven, given up striving, fretting, and demanding things from God and from life. Instead, they had surrendered to God their talents, their careers, their safety, their material needs, and even their retirement. Instead of chasing the abundant life, they waited for God to bring it to them. And they were happy. How do you enjoy life? We can talk about it through the book of Ecclesiastes. Rich Tatum from Grand Rapids, Michigan, tells a story of his eight-year-old son who was reading on the couch one morning when he discovered a new word that he didn't understand, eight years old, and it was the word ponder. So he said to his dad, what does ponder mean, dad? Rich told him, well, ponder means that you're wondering or thinking about things. Like you might say, I'm pondering the meaning of life. And then he thought, oh, man, that's going to raise a whole bunch of questions, and we're going to be here talking about what is the meaning of life and all of this kind of thing. But his son surprised him. He said, oh, Dad, I already know what the meaning of life is. It's to love God. (laughs) That's great. That's Ecclesiastes. Author Philip Yancey uses an analogy to explain happiness or contentment in this life. He said, imagine a busload of tourists en route to the Grand Canyon, and they're traveling across the country going to the Grand Canyon. And on the long journey across the the wheat fields of Kansas and the glorious mountains of Colorado and all of this scenery, the travelers keep all the shades down in the bus. They don't bother to look outside anywhere along the way. As a result, they spend their whole time in the bus arguing over who has the best seat and who's taking too much time in the bathroom. And Yancey says the church can resemble that kind of a bus. We're caught up in the end result and our desire to get there heaven, eternity. All of that's good. The Grand Canyon in this case. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But we're so caught up in that that we forget all about the journey. 
and we don't enjoy a thing along the way. Well, Ecclesiastes is about the journey. Put up the shades, enjoy the scenery. Where will we find happiness in this life? We will find happiness with God as we enjoy the journey he calls us to follow. Father, teach us. Teach us to enjoy the journey of your will for our lives. To trust you with the future. To trust you with our past. And to trust you with our present. And enjoy you in all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.